It's good to be with you. We are, if you are joining us uh, for the first time this morning, welcome. Glad that you are here. Uh, we, this morning, are wrapping up a short series uh, in the book of Ruth. And uh, if you thought that the story was good already, buckle up, because it gets even better this morning. And uh, so I'm excited to uh, wrap up our series together in that this morning. And so uh, if you're joining us for the first time, or if, like me, you forgot already 30 minutes ago what your wife asked you to do this afternoon, I will catch you up on the story uh, worth where we're at. So uh, in chapter one, we saw how this story of redemption in the book of Ruth, that um, it begins in the context of a situation that had gone from bad to worse to just full-on catastrophic, right? Uh, the story takes place in the time of the judges, which is a period in Israel's history that is marked by sin and rebellion and uh, people running from God and things have gotten so bad that in the promised land there's actually a famine that's begun. And so in the midst of all this situation we meet this guy named Elimelech and, and uh, he decides that he's going to move his family out of the promised land uh, to another place called Moab. It's, a even, it's an evil, pagan, sexually perverse place and, and shocker, it does not go well for them. Uh, by the end of verse 5 in chapter 1, he's dead. Uh, his two sons have married pagan wives, and then they died themselves. And so his wife, Naomi, is left in a foreign country with no husband, no sons. She's, she is, it's a picture of absolute devastation. It's a picture of desperation. But we see that all hope was not lost because in the midst of all that was going on, in the midst of all the sin and death and rebellion, God wasn't absent, he wasn't far off, he wasn't, he wasn't uninterested, he wasn't unengaged. Instead, what we see is that God is behind the scenes, that he is sovereignly and lovingly, that he is providing for his people. Verse 6, we Naomi hears that God has visited his people and provided food for them. And so she decides to go back to back to Bethlehem, and she urges her daughters-in-law to stay in Moab where they're from and, and to start new lives there. But and one of them does, but Ruth, we see in verse 16, she refuses. And, and instead, what we see is she makes this incredible declaration of faith and commitment, not only to Naomi, but, but more importantly to God. And in spite of this invariably difficult road ahead, Ruth has said that the, the, the one way forward for her is with God and with his people. And so these two women, they head back to Bethlehem just as a harvest is about to begin. And neither of them have any idea what these harvest fields hold in store for them. The curtain rises on chapter 2 and Ruth goes out into those harvest fields to glean some leftover grain. And, and by God's sovereign and good hand, she finds herself in the fields of a man named Boaz. And what we see is that Boaz becomes for Ruth and Naomi the personification of God's, uh, his redeeming favor. His grace, his kindness, his compassion, his generosity, his protection. And Ruth, is she's stunned by the, the abundant favor that, that Boaz shows her. She's this poor, widowed Moabite woman. No one noticed her except to look down on her or to talk badly about her. And what we see is that Boaz not only has noticed her, he has showered her with lavish favor and so she asks him the question that everyone is wondering. She asks the question that is on everyone's mind. Why? 
We saw in chapter 2 that Boaz responds, he tells her that the reason why he has shown her such lavish favor is not because he's trying to reward some good behavior and teach her that God rewards good behavior, but instead what he sees is that her actions have invariably come from her choice to put her faith and trust in God and to come take refuge and seek protection under his wings. And so by the end of chapter 2, things are going amazing. Not only is Ruth's stomach full, but she comes back to Naomi with more grain than the two of them ever hoped to find in months' worth of, of, of gleaning. But Ruth, she still doesn't understand yet how good her day has been until she tells Naomi that, that it was Boaz's fields that she had been gleaning in. You see, because Boaz wasn't just a godly man, who had generously shown favor to Ruth. No, instead, we see is the passage that Naomi tells her that he was a close relative. We use the phrase a kinsman redeemer or a guardian redeemer. He was a family member who could redeem or rescue or provide for this family in the dire situation that they were in, not only for their need for food, but more importantly, their need for a family and a, and a future. And so by that point, the, as a reader, you're just getting excited, right? Because you can... Like you can see where the story is headed. You, you're excited about where things is going. You can almost hear the wedding bells kind of ringing in the background. My wife's about to kind of snuggle up close to me because she knows there's going to be a happy ending coming soon, right? And she's just getting the happy feels on the inside. And, but instead, chapter two, it ends on this incredibly anticlimactic note. Ruth spent the rest of the season harvesting in Boaz's fields. He doesn't follow up. He never calls. He doesn't write. There's no text conversations. There's no Twitter retweets. Like nothing, right? And... Uh, Ruth is left hanging, and time's running out. The harvest is almost complete, and her temp job, gleaning in the fields, is just about over. And so they're about to head their separate ways, and so they need to take a next step. And so in chapter 3, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, she hatches a plan. <coughs> and if we're honest, we saw as plans go, uh, it's, it's not a great plan, right? Uh, not only is it risky, it is also a bit risque, right? And so this plan is, is it's got a lot of holes in it, to be honest, but but Ruth decides that she's going to listen to her mother-in-law, and so she goes to Boaz on the final night of the harvest in the middle of the night to wake him up and basically propose that he proposes to her, right? And it might not have been the most solid plan, but she goes along with it, and she goes to the threshing floor. She asks Boaz to, to become her guardian redeemer, the, the, the redeemer that she and Naomi both need to, to marry her and through her to raise up a son, who would continue on Elimelech's line and would be able to provide for Naomi. And Boaz, we saw in chapter 3, responds with a resounding yes. Not only is he willing to redeem Ruth, but he's honored that she would even ask him to. But we saw as chapter 3 ended that there's a problem. You see, to be a redeemer, you not only needed to be willing, you also needed to be able, which meant you have to have the, the right and the resources. And we see that Boaz, he's, he is willing and he has the resources but he didn't have the right. You see, to be the guardian redeemer, you needed to be the next closest family member in line. And Boaz wasn't. There was another man who was closer, and it was only if this man was unwilling or unable to act that Boaz would be able to step in. And so the end of chapter three, the tensions are running high. Right? We're 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 not sure if things are gonna work out. There's there's a everything is kind of teetering on the edge of the knife. And Boaz, he tells Ruth to return home to Naomi and to wait. First thing in the morning, he's going he's gonna to go and settle the matter, either one way or the other. Either this other guy will, will act as the redeemer that they need, or Boaz will do it. That brings us to chapter 4, and the climax of this whole redemption story. 
Such a good ending. So excited to show it to you. Let's pray and we'll dive into God's word. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thanks that you would keep it for us, that we might know you through it. God, it's so easy for us as we read stories in the Old Testament to try to just put ourselves in the shoes of the characters and, and instead to miss the, the point of the story is revealing something about you. And so, God, we ask that humbly this morning that you would help us to see how the story of Ruth uh, connects with our own lives and how this little story of redemption, God, connects with the grand picture of redemption that you have in store for us. And so, God, we pray that as you do that, that it would be good news to our hearts that overflows with us in a heart full of gratitude and joy and worship unto you. And and so, Jesus, to that end, I pray that you would empower me by your spirit to preach and teach what is right and that you would enable us by your spirit as well to respond rightly to your word. And so we just come needing you to be the one who works on our behalf this morning. And we eagerly wait to see how you will do it, God. Amen. Amen. Well, we are in Ruth chapter 4 this morning. You can follow along in your bulletins if you want to. Ruth chapter 4. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and he sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. And Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and he sat down and Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and he said, sit here. And they did so. And he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling a piece of land that belonged to the relative Elimelech. (coughs) And I I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. And if you'll redeem it, then do so. But if not... Tell me, so I will so, uh, so I will know, for no one has the right to do it except you, and then I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. And then Boaz said, On the day that you buy the land from Naomi, you also require Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, Well, then I cannot redeem it, because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself, for I cannot do it. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and the transfer of property, no, uh, to become final, one party took off a sandal and gave it to another. This is the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. And so the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and to all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all of the property of Elimelech and Kilion and Malon, and I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are witnesses. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. And may you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. And through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. And so Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And when he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel and he will renew your life and sustain you in your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and she cared for him. The woman living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. 
For this then is the line of the family of Perez. Perez is the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Abinadab, and Abinadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. It's the word of the Lord. You see, the the, the overarching storyline throughout the book of Ruth is the storyline of redemption. You see, and in this final passage, the author of Ruth, he highlights three important things about redemption that we need to see if we're going to not only understand this book rightly, but if we're going to understand how it connects with our own lives today. You see, the very first thing that we see in the passage this morning is, is that we see the cost of redemption. See, the the passage opens in Boaz. He's a man on a mission. First thing in the morning, he heads straight to the city gate, the the place where the official business happened. And he's not messing around. He's not lollygagging. He wants this thing settled. He, He wants to finish. He wants it to be done. And he gets there just as this other near redeemer happens to come along. And if you've been following with us the last couple weeks, you know by now, whenever the passage says, it just happened to happen, that's the, that's the author, that's him code word for saying that God's actually the one who is sovereignly, he is the one who is weaving together this, this story of redemption. There aren't just happenstances that happen to come along. No, God is sovereignly and lovingly, he is weaving together this great story of redemption. And, and so Boaz, this, this guy, God brings him along and <clears throat> Boaz pulls this guy aside and he tells him about this incredible opportunity in front of him. Verse 3 says, Naomi, she's selling this piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech, and I just wanted to let you know that, that you have the right to redeem that land if you want to. And the guy is sitting there probably thinking, wow, this is my lucky day. Land is hard to come by, and uh, yeah, like, of course I will, of course I'll redeem it. Like, the, what, why would I not do that, right? There's basically no downside for him. He gets this great piece of land. He, yes, he has to pay for it, but that's, that's a small price to pay. And all he has to do in return is to bring Naomi into his family and to take care of her in her old age. She's a widow. She's past childbearing age. And, and so it's not going to cost a lot to take care of her. And in the grand scheme of things, it's a small price to pay for such a huge benefit from this land. And, and to this guy, it must have sounded, Boaz's initial presentation must have sounded just like a, an amazing offer. It's a no-brainer. So the guy says, of course, yes, I'll do it. And you're thinking, Boaz, buddy, that is not the way to pitch it if you want to be the one to be the redeemer, man. Like, you're just like laying it on a silver platter for this guy, right? Like, what, what is happening, buddy? Like, what, what, what are you doing? I thought you wanted to be the redeemer. I thought you wanted to be the one to, to marry Ruth. What is the deal? Then we get to verse five, and we see that Boaz knows exactly what he's doing. He says, oh, yeah, also, sorry, one small detail forgot to mention on the first half, right? He says, on the day that you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. He says, sorry, one minor detail you might want to be aware of before you kind of make the call here. If you decide to redeem the land, it's not just Naomi that you'll have to take care of. There's also her dead son's widow, Ruth. And, and not only is she a, a widow, but she's also a Moabite. Remember the people, Israelites, we, we don't like the Moabites, right? 
And, and she, not only that, she's young. And unlike Naomi, she can still have kids. And so that means that as a redeemer, your responsibility would be to, to father a son through her so that that son could inherit the land and could provide for Elimelech's family and his heirs and, and, and maintain his line. And so all of a sudden, this land that this guy envisioned being this huge asset that he would use and that he'd pass down to his sons and that they would use and it'd be just this great benefit for their family, now he sees that not only, not only is it going to cost him on the front end and have to pay to re- buy the land and redeem it, but, but that he's going to have to give it back to a son that he fathers through this so that another man's line can continue. You see, you see Boaz had revealed the true cost of redemption. What was clear is that the price was high. You see, to act as a guardian redeemer, it wasn't just some wonderful benefit for you. Instead, it was a sacrifice made for the good of another. You see, and it was a cost that this near kinsman was either unable or unwilling to pay. He says, on second thought, Boaz, I can't. I'll endanger my own estate. I'm I'm not able. I'm not willing. I cannot do it. You see, but Boaz... Boaz has already counted the true cost. He already understands the situation that he is getting into. He understands what it will cost him. He understands the sacrifices that it will require. And yet he has still chosen to act as a redeemer. You see, he is not only able, he is willing. And so Boaz, he he says, all right, well, let's do it then. Everyone's here. Verse 90 announces, he says, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech and Kilion and Malon, and I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. He says, today you are witnesses. See, and that brings us to the second thing that this passage shows us about redemption That's the response to redemption. You see, everyone gathered there, they had seen the redeeming love of Boaz on display and and the willingness he he took to to become the guardian redeemer that Ruth and Naomi needed. And in response, they were to tell others about what they had seen. They were to be witnesses. Twice Boaz tells them they are witnesses. Later in the passage, they claim that role for themselves. You see, What they had witnessed, it was incredible. Boaz, a wealthy, well-respected Israelite man, chooses to willingly sacrifice not only his current financial situation, but also his own future inheritance in order to rescue and redeem Ruth, a widowed Moabite woman and her her bitter mother-in-law. And he graciously brings these two marginalized, easily forgotten women into his esteemed family, and he showers them with blessings and favor. And he does that not because there's some huge financial upside, for him. He does that not because he just desperately needs somebody to love him. He, he doesn't do it because people respect him more, so his own name will be great. In fact, everything he's doing is ensuring that the name of someone else will be remembered and will go on. Instead, what we see in the sacrificial action of Boaz is a man who is reflecting the redeeming love of God that God has already shown him. One commentator put it this way. He wrote, 
Through the self-sacrificing act of Boaz, Ruth has been established as belonging within the people of God. You see, Boaz had shown in practice what he believed to be true about God's actions towards his own people, that those who are redeemed are to be agents through whom others find redemption. You see, it was out of the overflow of the way that God had graciously and blessingly treated Boaz that he, that's out of the overflow of the way that God has treated him and related to him that Boaz chooses to relate to Naomi and to Ruth and to treat them. You see, Boaz, he was under no obligation. It wasn't his duty. It wasn't his job. He wasn't the nearest family member. It wasn't his responsibility. Instead, what we see is that he goes out of his way. He goes over and above. He chooses to go far above and beyond what is required or even expected of him. And what we see is this incredible demonstration of God's grace being shown through the actions of this man. And in response, the crowd in verse 11, they respond, we are witnesses. You see, they get it. They understand what they are seeing. They understand what is happening in front of them. They understand that this other kinsman redeemer was not willing or was not able because the sacrifice was great and the cost was high of redemption. And they see Boaz, a man whose it was not his responsibility, they see him choosing to lay down his futures and to lay down his rights and to lay down his finances in order to benefit the good of another. And they say, we will be witnesses. We will tell others of what we have seen here. You see, the way you respond to encountering the redeeming love of God is to bear witness about it. To tell others about what you have seen and what you have experienced. You see, too often people think that the joining Jesus on the mission of making disciples is kind of reserved for people who have like some hyper-level spiritual gift of evangelism or have some super deep spiritual knowledge to pass on to somebody else. But the, the truth is, is that everyone who has ex- encountered the redeeming love of God is simply called to tell others about their own story. To tell others the story of God's sovereign, gracious, sacrificial, redeeming work in their own lives to be witnesses of what they have seen and encountered. Let me just tell you this on the front end. There are few things that are more life-giving in this world than to remind yourself and others of the way God has redeemingly loved you. There are few things, precious few, that are more life-giving than to tell that story to remember how God has treated you, how he has loved and pursued and come after you in, in grace and to, and to reveal and to reflect that story to others. And so we've seen in, in our story so far, we've seen the cost of Ruth's redemption. We've seen the response to Ruth's redemption. And as the book ends, what we see is, what we see is the third thing the author is highlighting is that we see God's grand purpose in Ruth's redemption You see, it seems odd, doesn't it, that the story ends not with some triumphant wedding scene. It's after three chapters of buildup, after three chapters of wondering what's going to happen to Ruth and and Boaz, and is it going to work out, and what's going to happen, you get literally one verse. You get one verse. Verse 13 tells us they got married, they had a baby. Great. Story moved on. Right? 
You can clearly tell the guy who wrote the story was a guy, not a girl, because no woman would have left that few details about a wedding, right? (laughs) Instead, the the story, it ends, it concludes with a close-up shot of Naomi, and she's holding her grandson. See, the book, it opened with three funerals. It ends with a wedding and a baby. You see the the picture here, it highlights how the sin and rebellion and death and emptiness that had set the stage for this story of redemption has now been replaced with grace and with love and with life and with fullness. And that God is the one who has brought emptiness to fullness. He is the one who has transformed death into life. You see, but what's so important that you notice is that He's not just done that for Naomi and for Ruth. You see, this story reminds us that he's done it for us as well. You know, at the end of every Marvel movie, after the the closing scene ends, there's the credits, and there's always a clip at the end. Right? It gives you this preview of what's happening next. And if you're really nerdy and you've read comic books, then you're like, oh, I know exactly what that was about, right? I know where this random person is heading or what this random storyline is about. And, and you get excited about what's going to happen in the next of the movies, right? And see, that's kind of what happens at the end of this story. The story kind of fades to black on Naomi holding her grandson. And it fades back up on that after credit scene. And it's a genealogy. Everyone loves genealogies, right? They're just everyone's favorite part of Scripture, right? But this one, it's really important that you see. You see, Ruth and Boaz, they had a son. His name was Obed. He was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David. That's King David. You see, this book, it began in the days of the judges when sin and rebellion and running from God characterized all of God's people, and it ends with the introduction of the most famous king in all of Israel's history. And and the realization that this whole story has actually been about something much bigger than just the redeeming love of of this man for this widowed Moabite. You see this heartwarming yet seemingly insignificant story of redemption tucked away in the pages of the Old Testament is actually here to point you and I to the grand story of God's redemption, which is on the front page of his plan of redemption throughout history. You see this genealogy where it leaves off the gospel of Matthew in chapter one, it keeps going. For generation after generation after King David, it goes down to all the way to Jacob, who's the father of Joseph, who is the husband of Mary, who gives birth to Jesus, the Messiah, the great king, the rescuer. See, the story of Ruth is meant to point us to a greater king than David. It's meant to point us to a redemption that is greater than Ruth's. See, this whole story is meant to point us to the gospel, to God's great plan of redemption for all people through Jesus. You see, Ruth's redemption here in the story of Ruth, it is merely a microcosm of God's redeeming plan for all people. You see, just like Boaz's redemption of Ruth uh, Ruth was, God's plan of redemption throughout history, it is scandalously good news. Ephesians 2 tells us that like Ruth, all of us are born dead in our sin. We're deserving of wrath. We are excluded from citizenship amongst God's people, that we are are foreigners to the covenants of promise that we're without hope and without God. But Ephesians 2 goes on in verse 4 to tell us, because of God's great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead. 
And he did it by grace. See, like Ruth, you and I are in the field scavenging for food, not deserving of attention, not, not deserving that anyone should show us favor, should show us grace and mercy. We deserve no attention from God. We deserve no favor from him. And yet, like Boaz, God not only notices us, he instead, he goes above and beyond. He shows us abundant favor. More than that, he willingly pays the price for our redemption so that we might be able to be brought into his family and be given a hope and be given a future. You see that word redemption, it means to to buy or to purchase or to set free by paying a price. It's what we see Boaz doing for Ruth and Naomi, but it is also what we see Jesus doing for us on the cross. You see, redemption is a costly sacrifice, and yet Jesus willingly paid the price for us. He lived the life that you and I were not able to live, a life of perfect obedience unto God, a life without sin. And and on the cross, he traded his reward. He gave us his inheritance, and he traded it for ours so that like Ruth, you and I would be adopted into his family, that we'd be given a hope and a future where where at one point we had none. And we go from foreigners of God to family of his, and we do it by faith, the Bible says. Not because we've earned it, not because we've deserved it, not because we have obeyed enough, not because we are impressive, not because we have behaved rightly, but because God, who is rich in mercy, has directed his love towards us. See, that's the good news that we remember and that we celebrate every week when we take communion. We're reminding ourselves that Jesus was not only able to rescue and redeem us, but that he was willing to pay the price for our redemption. So that foreigners and sinners like you and like me, that we might be included and adopted into God's family, that we might be able to enjoy him forever. You see, communion, it doesn't make you right with God. It doesn't change your status or your standing with him in any way. Instead, it's only faith in Jesus' redeeming work on your behalf that can change that in any way. Instead, communion is is a chance for us to remember Jesus, our glorious Boaz, our kinsman redeemer. So that in remembering his redeeming love for us, we would be full of love and gratitude that overflows into a life that is lived unto him. A life that joyfully tells others of his redeeming love so that they might experience it as well. And so this morning as we sing and as we, as we celebrate the gospel together in song, if you put your trust in Jesus to be your redeemer, that whenever you're ready, I'd encourage you, take communion. If, if you uh, didn't grab the elements on your way in, they're on a table in the back, and you can grab those during our time of musical worship, and you can take communion whenever you feel ready. If, and uh, you don't need to be a member here, you just need to have trusted Jesus to be your Redeemer. But if not this morning, if that's not the case, if you're here this morning, you're still figuring out who Jesus is to you and and what it looks like to have a relationship with him, then I just need you to hear this on the front end. You are welcome here. I'm glad that you are here. If there's any way that this community can serve you, that we can help you figure that out, that we can help you in that process, let us know. We would love to do that. But I'd encourage you, hold off on taking communion. Instead, come to Jesus. Admit to him that you are in need of rescue and redemption and humility and faith. Ask him 
like Ruth asked Boaz to be your redeemer. He is not only able to pay the price for your redemption, he is willing. And so as we take communion this morning, talk with God. For those of you who have not yet trusted Jesus to be your redeemer and to pay the price for your redemption, then be honest with God about what's keeping you from doing that. Maybe it could be doubt or a fear or a sense of unworthiness or whatever it is, but whatever it is, bring it to God. Let him meet you in that. Let him speak to you in that. Or talk to me or one of the other small group leaders. We'd love to talk with you about that. And for those of you as well who are here this morning and you have trusted Jesus as your redeemer, you have trusted him and asked him to be the one who has paid the price for your redemption. This morning as we sing, as we worship, tell him how thankful you are. Tell him how grateful you are for all that he has done for you. Ask him to well up within you a heart of humble gratitude and worship unto him. And and ask him as well like he used Boaz and like he used Ruth to make you a channel of his redeeming work in the lives of others. Ask him to help you see the opportunities that he has given you to bear witness about his redeeming love in your life. And ask him to give you a joyful boldness to tell others that story. You see, that's why we're here. We're not just here to sit back and to enjoy this beautiful story of redemption, but the story is here so that we might be reminded that we are invited to join in that story by proclaiming the greater story that this little story of redemption always points us to, to make much of Jesus in the gospel. You see, the story of Ruth is this incredible reminder of God's sovereignty, of his love, and of his grace, but it's also a reminder that God includes ordinary people in his redeeming purposes, and that he uses ordinary people to accomplish his redeeming plans. Boaz, Ruth, Naomi, they had no idea that God would use their story to point people towards Jesus And the truth is, is that you might have no idea as well how God might use your story to point others towards him as well. But this morning, I would encourage you, pray that he would. Ask him that he would do it for your joy, for the redemption of those around you, but most of all, for God's great glory, that it would be known throughout your neighborhoods, throughout your city, throughout the world, unto the nations, for your good, for your joy, and for his great glory. Let's pray. God, we uh, come before you this morning and uh, we, we are humbled by the story of redemption and the way that, that, it's, that we see our, ourselves reflected in it. God, like Ruth, we are a people who are not deserving, who are not worthy, that you would show us grace and favor, that you would be our redeemer and pay the price for our redemption. Ah, but Jesus, you have. God, we pray that you would cause us not only to be encouraged or to be entertained by this incredible story of redemption, but, but that we would be filled with an awe and a wonder that wells up into a worship unto you, both today and every day. And so, God, we thank you that when we were hopeless foreigners like Ruth, that you showed us favor. And we thank you that when we were stuck in sin and emptiness like Naomi was, that you were sovereignly planning for our redemption in, and, and bringing our fullness about and God, we're thankful as well that like Boaz, you were not only able, but you were willing to pay the price for our redemption. And so God, we're grateful that you have not only redeemed us from something, but you have redeemed us for something. 
that we might bear witness about your redeeming love in our lives and in the lives of others. God, for our good, for our joy, but ultimately for your great glory in all the world. Help us to see that. Help us to join you in it, Jesus. We love you. Thanks that you have loved us first. Amen.